0: welcome to the antler up podcast brought to you by spartan forge black rifle coffee company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love america fall is upon us and there's no better way to get fueled up before a hunt than with some black rifle coffee coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code antler at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription black rifle coffee Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, Free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download gowild.com to get started. Tether is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter. Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. We are on episode 120. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Eric Barnes just outside of Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And Eric shares with us how he mainly hunts public land and this past season tagged out on a seven and a half year old buck. Eric also shares what he looks for when he's out scouting and what has led to a little bit more success for him over the last couple of years. Just a real fun episode where we just talk PA hunting. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Antler up. Appreciate you coming on. I know, you like you said, a busy day at work and you know those days.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Um, <laughs> I was actually uh, just came back to from uh, doing something to better my season next year. Um, by no means am I a huge guy, but I actually just got the wheels rolling on kind of changing my diet just to drop a few pounds to make going up the hills not too not as bad this fall so
0: good for you man that's
1: what i came from yeah so
0: good 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 for you that's uh it's funny i i always talk to people and they're like yeah you guys uh work out a lot and all that type of stuff i said yeah it just depends and the year we went out to utah i worked out more did more cardio and rucking and all that type of stuff and I feel like I got to tell myself I'm going to Utah or somewhere out west just to get my ass in gear a <laughs> little more. Right, it's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, but not whitetail fit over here. I'll tell yeah. you
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you guys are as well, but I'm 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 out as much as I can scouting, running cameras. So I feel like my activity fine. is just watching when I put in my plate. So yeah,
0: <laughs> I hear you, dude. Now that's awesome. Well, everybody, we have Eric Barnes on the line. Uh, this evening and Eric is a Pennsylvania hunter and Eric, you tell us like where you're from, right? I, I mean, I know just from looking at the bio and kind of how you talked about hunting where the story that we really want to talk about is, is your buck this past season. You know, where are you coming from? What's the kind of little quick little baseball card of your bio, dude?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm from North central PA. So I live in Williamsport, which is known for the little league world series and it's pretty much right that da- smack dab middle of the state, up north a little bit and uh pretty much lived here all lived this area all my life i'm 28 now um and the past six years i've really gotten to the public game and first few years were a struggle but uh, the last few years there's been some, some good success and the best was this past season so
0: that's awesome now talk about uh before we dive into the success, talk about a little bit of the struggles, just because I think you know we all go through that, whether it be yearly of some type of struggle or or multiple years. I mean, we I've gone a couple of years without filling a buck tag, and you know, kind of break that up two years ago. But now I'm on a two year streak, so it's like got to cut up somewhere. From not that I didn't have opportunities, but maybe just not the right time, right moment, and situation. But you know, talk about maybe some of those struggles that led to your success or not necessarily success leading to a, a fill tag, but getting better opportunities in the future.
1: Yeah. So the first year I hunted, well, I, I did some to clarify. I did a few years of just, you know, doing drives during rifle season. Yep. So I kind of, you know, but 2015 was really the first year. I started actually bow hunting public and it actually started out good. I shot two and a half year old 90 inch 10 point that year, but that was, I mean, other than than one of the guys at home with finding some sign it was really kind of lucky, you know, didn't have any history with the deer or anything like that. So that kind of, you know, got me more into the public than just doing the deer drives. But the two years to follow that were were pretty tough. Um, 2016, I didn't see a legal buck until the last day of bow season, and I botched a shot on it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, 2017, I did pass on a few smaller legal bucks, but... Didn't get in front of anything I was really interested in shooting. Um, And this is both on public and a few small private permission pieces. Um, 2018, um, things got better. Um, Still didn't kill one that year, but I passed on six legal bucks, and there was one pretty decent buck that um, I uh, was just literally a day early and a day late on, like, just kind of a cat and mouse game I lost on. him. I had him on camera one day you know, him a different day. And then I thought about going back to spot the last day of bow season. And he showed up that day when I'm somewhere else, of course. <laughs> and then, uh, 2019 I so was able to get back on the board, I shot a two and a half year old eight point that was 85 inches. And, uh, that was cool. That was hot in a scrape. That was really my first experience, like getting a scrape hunting. So by that point I'm picking up steam and uh, 2020, I did shoot a three and a half year old that was only 87 inches, but for a three and a half year old, just didn't have the greatest growth. And that was on, that was on private, but, um, the, the group of guys are hunting with dual threat outdoors, we, uh, we did kill some decent bucks that year. Um, my buddy's dad shot, uh, 121 inch 11 point that year Nice. and my buddy, we didn't score it yet. Um, it was a nine point, but it was probably in the 120s. He's actually getting it back from taxidermist Friday. So we'll be scoring that one soon. And those were kind of both deer I had on camera and uh, areas I, the one area that my buddy shot his book, I had found that that year. So that was when things started building up. And like I said, it all kind of came to it kind of all was building just with more time scouting, you know, learning, you know, what areas are worth putting my time into what areas are time wasters and then kind of putting it all together this year and honing in on certain areas. So it was just kind of a culmination of that that, got me to this year and hopefully we'll keep carrying on this is the first year i actually shot three bucks in a row so
2: now can you talk a little bit about maybe something specific from you know you were kind of a late onset hunter and you know so you were trying to go out and then learn each year and get better and basically things that we've probably been trying to learn you know being in a hunter all our life but you know what what are some of those things that maybe the first couple of years didn't work but then you know whether it's train features or where you're setting up or access routes was there anything specific that you're like huh man that didn't go to plan and then i gotta do this next year and then maybe you did it it's like oh wow i'm getting better at this and you know maybe some light bulbs that went off can you explain some of those moments you might have had
1: yeah there's a couple things but i just want to clarify real quick on one thing you said there i have been hunting since i was 12 but uh, would have been when I was 21 or 22 when I first got into bow hunting public. But the thing with that time frame before I hunted public was I just kind of like just go to set stands, um, places I've killed deer before and not really putting much thought into it. And I wasn't really growing as a hunter until I got into the public game. So I've been hunting a long time, just really been you know, getting a lot more learning and effort in these past five, six years. But, um, no, some of the key things i focused on is, this one's going to be a little controversial, I know, because it's kind of a polarizing topic with hunting, but um, I have found success with um, using scent control. Um, I personally use set lock. Now, I'm not quite on the John Eberhart level where I can totally forget the wind, but I still I still pay attention to that as much as possible, but there has been times where in the hills the wind swirls, and I have gotten busted in years past, in the past three or two years or so, since I've been using it, um, I I can honestly say I haven't been busted on standby deer downwind, um, but, you know, like I kind of said in the intro, you know, being not in the best physical shape, you know, I still sweat going to the stand, you know, a lot, especially early season, so early season, I'm really wind conscious, but during the rut, I can kind of take my time getting in and not have that, that as much of an issue, so that's one thing, but other things are, you know, the first few years I was hunting public, I was really, um, just hunting a lot of ballpark open woods, which now I know that's really a time waster. Um, You know, you you might see some scrapes and rubs in there, but nine times out of 10, that's being made at night. And I think a lot of guys will see that sign and set up on it and then be disappointed. But the biggest thing is just to contrast that is, you know, finding those areas where you have the sign and the cover, because that cover is what's going to make those deer feel more comfortable moving during daylight as opposed to, you know, those open areas where, you know, there's not that action. So, like, basically, I'm looking for clear cuts. I'm looking for points and benches where there's side cover. Um, And, you know, like, the area I killed in my bucket this year was a point. And you could see probably 40 to 60 yards, but the side hills for that point were just super thick with laurel and brush that was over your head. So even though, you know, that's, it was a little bit of a wide open area, there wasn't a very far route to travel to get back into security cover. So the cover scouting wise is really big and also just running cameras too. Um, I run probably 20, give or take, you know, two or three cameras each year. And uh, it really helps you hone in on what deer are in the area. And then also not just running cameras, that's kind of another thing that, I got better at the last couple years is, you know, when I started heading public, I'd say, okay, I want to spread as many cameras out as I can cover as many areas where now I'm saying, okay, I'm going to hone in on four to six areas. And each of those areas is going to have two to three cameras, maybe four, just because I've can't tell you how many times I've seen a deer on stand and didn't even walk by my camera. Yeah. And so that got me thinking like, you know, how much am I missing with that? So basically, you know, when it just comes to actual hunting strategy, you know, um, multiple cameras in an area and, and getting in by cover and, you know, not hunting areas where it's just, you can see a couple hundred yards for a ways. So,
2: well, and I think that's one thing we've learned this year is with the cameras is not just to gain that Intel and inventory early on in the season. You know, that's kind of was our strategy early on. Um, but the more people we've talked to and, and kind of been educated is, is to use them around that bedding area to see what that movement looks like for those mature bucks, right? Because I think a lot of times we're just trying to find is there a good deer in the area, and then we kind of – you know whether it's early season or into the season, looking for that fresh sign. But you know, I think if you can pattern that that mature buck and, and gain a little bit more inventory, and kind of like you said, use those couple cameras around that bedding area to see, you know, what wind direction is he moving this way or that way. Yeah, and I think you're gonna have more encounters and more success if you do that than just kind of put it in the general area. Try to get daytime, nighttime. It leading into the season and you know not really know where he's gonna be
1: yeah and that's actually when you said that that reminded me of something else too with cameras is like i used to really struggle in like getting on deer in the early season cause I'd be like oh i have one daylight picture in two weeks of this buck i'm gonna hunt quote-unquote hunt him and i really wasn't <laughs> even hunting him because i wasn't anywhere close to where he was bedding and i didn't know that at the time but i know that now and uh This past season, I actually was hunting a buck in early season, probably about 115, 120-inch, 8. And uh, I had an encounter with him the first evening. I just was not quite close enough to his bed. He came in, like, right at last light. And I had the glass just to see his head. And by the time I did that, he got right back. He stepped right back into the cover. But the good news with him is I found his shed, and I'm going to be hunting him this year. But my point is with that story is, you know, I had a few campers in that area. You know, I saw that buck was moving, you know, during daylight two to three times a week, which, especially on public land, that's enough where you can hunt them. And then, like, with the buck I shot this year and some other bucks, I've noticed that, you know, you guys can tell me if you see this or not, seems to me like the second or third week of November, you really get bucks roaming. I had a few bucks on camera this year that I got them, you know, early season, um, before preseason on camera, and during that, you know, uh November twelfth to twentieth period I had them one to two miles away from where I had them before. but what I like to key in on though for the rut is like that pre-rut end of October first week of November because what I've seen and this is what happened with the buck I killed this year is I only had three pictures of him I had him uh, twice in velvet during the summer and a nocturnal picture in September of him and but the area again you know it had that good cover and it was dropping acorns. So I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to go in that area and blow it up at early season, you know, rolling the dice that I may, I might and probably won't see him. You know, I waited until first week of November on a cold front to hunt him, and uh, I was able to connect with him and s- saw another buck on stand that day as well. So um, so that's kind of what I do. If I have, you know, if I have multiple pictures of a buck during daylight in the preseason, I'll hunt him early season. If not, I'll just wait till the rut to hunt that area.
0: I like that. Now, that's that's good information there, Eric. Now, one thing that I do want to kind of touch upon because this is something myself, I want to get better at and improve upon, and that is dictating the areas of good time and times of wasting time. You know, we, I, Dimitri and no. I, we've talked, uh, we had a, a long drive over uh, the weekend, and we, we both kind of, talked about this, uh, of trying different areas and scouting out new areas and, you know, ch- just kind of going for it and talk about the t- opportunities, maybe the, where you gave up because you were saying not necessarily gave up, but we were like, okay, it, this is a waste of time to come hunt here. This is where I should kind of put more time and effort into and, you you know, and hunt there. What goes into that categorize? Where are you putting your pros and cons? And when do you kind of scrap one off and say, okay, I'm moving on from this spot?
1: So that's a good question. Um and actually a few spots, um I, I have a good example with this is like so if I have an area where, you know, I this is the first year I've scouted, I haven't hunted it yet. Um and I don't really have any remo- any shooters on camera, but I have deer on camera there. I'll usually hunt those areas early season, um, just to kind of see the the doe traffic and the subordinate young buck traffic there, or if there isn't any. And what I've noticed is a couple spots, including the one I shot that two and a half year old, eight three years ago now. Like let like the year I found that, which was the year before I killed that buck, I hunted there a lot of early season, both morning and evening, and saw some doe, but you know, wasn't getting, seeing some of the bucks I had on camera. And then I realized from camera pictures, okay, this area is hot during the pre-rut because there's a big community scrape there. And then the following year, I didn't go in there until the pre-rut and that's when I killed that, that buck. But you know, that's one thing I've noticed is you can, you can, you can gain the deer movement in the early season. You may not get on the buck you want to get on, but you know, if you you can get into deer movement and use your cameras to see, okay, you know this is either pre rut, rut, post rut spot for whatever reason, um, and then there's some other areas I can think of where you know I thought there was a good sign there, but I just realized that you know either it was getting over hunted by other hunters or there just wasn't the cover. So those areas, I either you know hunted a couple times and or I checked my cameras, and I just I just end up banning those areas because well, one of those two issues usually. Um, so
2: now your first couple of years coming onto to the public land, what kind of pressure did you encounter or, you know, in having other hunters around when you're kind of used to that private setting and how did you adjust to that moving forward?
1: So the public land I hunt, I've, I quickly realized if I wanted to consistently kill bucks there, I really need to put my time into archery because rifle was pretty much a war zone out there. I mean, you could get lucky and push out a buck <laughs> on a drive, but to sit, sit and see a buck, um, even pretty remotely in with how many people are moving deer. It was honestly, you'd you have to get pretty lucky. So I, I quickly, which I already love bow hunting anyways, but I quickly realized, you know, I had to put my time in archery or I probably wouldn't have very much success if any. Um, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was there's still a good bit of potty pressure during archery season, but pr- pretty much what I've realized is, like, you know, parking area like specific parking areas on public, I mean, you know, there's some spots where you can only get to them through a parking area. You know, those areas are going to attract people. So what I try to do is I try to find, you know, spots where I'm just parking alongside the road and, you know, I usually try to park on the opposite side of the road I'm going into just to throw people off. Um, and, uh, there's some areas I hunt where there is some human pressure, but you can get in and hunt and bow hunt those areas, you know, before it gets really bad during the gun seasons. But like the area I shot my buck, we had m- my buddies and I, we had, basically it was another buddy of mine that was hunting the area with me, but we, we had no people on camera there all year. And I have had cameras in there from, uh, Last June, uh, I pulled them in uh, January. So, I, the 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 aspect of getting away from the people is huge. Now, granted, you know you still need the habitat and cover to hold the deer, but that if you can do that, you're the odds are you know you're gonna you're you're just gonna be able to find those areas. Um, and I think like this is this is one thing that I haven't found is I know people talk about like Dan and, Paul, and people talk about roadside hotspots. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I've had a lot better luck, like, getting deep and finding, getting on deer. Like, I, I'd say at least 60, 70% of the time I'm deep, it's a good spot. Like, it's an area where there's deer moving, there's there's bucks back there that I'm interested in hunting. And I'd say it's probably, for me, about 1 out of 10 that I could find a spot by the road because, you know, either they're already being hunted or they just stood up the cover, so...
0: Nice. And So the one key word that I've I've heard you mention a lot on is that cover. Uh, you know, how, yeah. w- like when you're going out or even maybe possibly doing a little bit of e-scouting before you find a new piece, is there anything on the map that you're kind of looking forward to and, you know, putting your boots on the ground and you go there and you're like, okay, this is a definitely a spot because, hey, here's sign, but also the terrain features kind of focus in on something more specific. Is there anything like that? Because just because, I mean, I... I grew up about ugh, 45 minutes east of you, so it's not like, okay. you know, like it's it's a pretty good, you know, it's kind of the same terrain features and not too much different either, I would say, from what Dimitri and I hunt here in Central PA, uh, just outside of State College. So, you know, is there anything that, you're, that cover it has to have for you uh, when on e-scouting and then when you get boots on the ground?
1: So e-scouting-wise, I mean, I'm looking for like if I can find a clear cut that's at least a half a mile back, that's that's a good thing because there still might be some people hunting it. But like the ones that are off the road, I I mean I'm not gonna say I won't scout it, but I normally write them off because like people like older people who I'm not, I don't mean a stereotype, but people who aren't use doing e scouting really, um, they can just see those spots and usually there's they're usually they're getting hunted pretty hard to begin with. Um, because it's, you know, it's a diversity in habitat, but I like, I like to find m- the most remote clear cuts I can find. Um, there's one clear cut I've been hunting the past couple years, which we haven't killed anything at yet. Um, well, actually one of my buddies missed a good one there last year, but we, there's some good bucks in there. We just, we just haven't quite figured out, we figure out when they move there, but we just have, we've just been a late dollar short a couple of times there. But, um, so clear cuts are big and then. So that's the biggest thing for East County because you know when it comes to thick cover, I I, I mean maybe if, if there if there's a way you guys have found it, that's great but I I haven't seen a way to find like thick laurel or anything like that just by looking at you know your Onyx or Hunt Stand or whatever you use um, Spartan Forge or whatever but then for boots on the ground like if there's an area where you know you have to go through ballpark open woods to get there and then you have like a little nook of cover that's usually pretty good um now if you're in an area where it's all cover that's more difficult because those deer could bed about anywhere um and i mentioned the i mentioned earlier the buck i hope was hunting in early season last year that i found a shed in bed in this postseason, and he's better than really good spot because he's at the bottom of a point or not the bottom of a point the bottom point before a steep drop off and he can see a couple hundred yards down a cliff and if the wind's blowing that way and the wind blowing down his back, anything coming to him, he's got that way with his nose. But that bedding area isn't just Laurel. There's a lot of thick briars in there, which I also saw some was browsed off. So if you can find the area with both Laurel and, you know, briars, brows, um, you know, red brush, anything like that, where they have some food as well, that's, that's money. And those are, those areas, I, I, I can count on one hand how many of those I've found, but. I mean, obviously they, you know, in hill country, in our area, they have to use Laurel in some areas where it's less diverse, but that does make it harder to pinpoint exactly where they're at too. I
0: I think you're going to answer it. Maybe Dimitri, what I wanted to ask is kind of answer Eric's question of like, what do we look at when we pull up that, that E map, what are we looking for? Like for me, I'm looking for that change of total greenery. Uh, Like, so, one, like if I see something that it's the majority of that screen is a specific color green and then one, there's a little quote unquote pocket overhead, you know, in that aerial view and there's, mm. and it looks totally more lush green. It could be, I don't know,
2: pine. Kind of high. A lot of the clear cuts are that way too. Yeah. yeah. This is kind of a different colored green. Yeah, You can kind of tell that it was a. Old clear cut with without like the the feature on. Yep.
0: So like for instance, Eric, for for what I look at like the one spot back at home when I where I hunt on private land, uh, like I was telling my dad this past season, he was kind of looking. It was late October, early November. And he, he has a, a, a beautiful job that allows him to take a good amount of time off and he saves it for, for the rut hunting basically here in Pennsylvania. And he was like, what do you think of this spot? And I looked up the map and I was like, dad, I think you should go to here just to change a little bit of features. And I kind of know that that area um, a little bit. And I said, you know, down there, there's more pines. There's um, it, it, it just ha- offers different cover and he, he didn't listen to me. He, he was up like the next ridge and a half. And he texted me that day and he goes, Jerry where you told me to go, I saw a buck kind of like on some dough a little bit. Uh, so that's where that's what I'm keying in on. Uh, I don't know if it's the right thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, but that's what I'm looking for. And like for this upcoming weekend here, I have the opportunity to, to kind of go back home on Friday and I'm going to look in a couple of spots I have circled on the map of, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to see what the sign says. And if it's kind of like going back to what we previously discussed about wasting time, not wasting time, if I get in there, it looks great. And their sign, I'll, I'll obviously drop some waypoints. If it doesn't, I'll cross it off and know that, hey, this wasn't what it, it, it terrain features you know, no deer travel or whatever. Uh, So that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that total change of, you know, scenery of, of cover. Uh, And the thing about like Spartan Forge is you're able to choose between like eight different map styles. So you could kind of get a pretty good uh, gist of, of what looks good and and get a difference of of that.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. The clear cuts are, in my opinion, like you kind of alluded to that are pretty easy to see. almost looks like, the, uh, the the terrain's kind of indented. Like, you'll see a wall of trees, and then you'll see, like, almost, like... So, that it kind of looks like spotty trees. Like, it looks like trees that are maybe half-inch to quarter-inch spaced out on your app. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point, though, with the change in the, change in the leaf colors, too. Um, I've heard people talk about that. Um, but also, another thing with East Sky, this huge, too, is, like, you, you kind of alluded to it there, is uh, terrain features. Um, and those are, like... A lot of those areas are kind of what I was getting at where like I'll identify them on, you know, e scouting and then I I wanna put boots in the ground before I even plan to hunt or throw up campers or whatever to see what the sign is there and what the covers like there. But um points, benches, saddles, I mean they're huge. I've, of the three though, I've had the for me personally, I've had the best luck on points. Um If you have to go up a steep side hill and then you're really, and you're a mile or so back in, and then you have like a, a nice bench system. Usually, that's littered with oaks, and hopefully, they're dropping. And if there's you know some good scattered cover in there, you know you're 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 in pretty good shape because you're away from the people. Um, you have the food, you have the cover, you have pretty much everything you need for good deer movement. So,
2: well, and the, the word that keeps coming up on I I think every podcast we've talked to with somebody that's killed a really nice buck is clear cuts. Yeah, You know, I mean, that yep. has been come up more in the last year than I think I've ever heard the word said.
0: And even listening to previous podcasts for mm. many years, you know, it just seems like it's the big, like you said.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and I it's funny, people are going to show up and scout clear cuts and everyone else is going to show up there too. But, um, (laughs) can you talk about how, how you hunt the clear cut? Is there a certain age of clear cut you're looking for? I know I've watched videos and podcasts and talking to people. Everyone has a little bit of different opinion of what they like or what they're looking for. Um, some people like hunting the edges. Some people like to dive right in and whether it's, they have a 10 yard shot but if they're on a trail, that's where they want to be. Can you talk about what you're looking for and how you go about hunting uh, that area?
1: So, um, I, so far, well, my stats on clear cuts kind of suck, to be honest with you. I've only ever killed one doe in a, clear cut, or in a clear cut area, but like I said, the one clear cut we kind of key in on, there's this one buck last year that was kind of a game of cat and mouse. We had him show up once in the pre-rut pretty consistently, before early season. And then once right at the end of the season, tell me he's still alive, but we just didn't connect with him. And that's, you know, that's how it goes. when there's some of them clear cuts are larger, but the first off, we'll start by saying the one clear cut, I want no part of and have no interest in hunting. And just because, because of what I'm about to explain is the ones that are probably in the 30 to 40 year old range that have just those one, one and a half inch diameter trees. That, that's just all it is. Just a wall of those trees. And they just, I don't know if they're just, um, I don't even know what trees they are. I don't know if they're, um, I I can't, I don't know if they're birch or what, but they're just, they're silver maples. I don't like, and there's, there's, you see very little deer sign in those. So those are the ones I kind of cross off the list, but the public eye hunt, so they fence off clear cuts unless it's like a, if it's a select cut where they leave some trees, they won't fence it off and that they can be good right away. But the ones that they actually fully clear cut other than maybe a couple of trees, they fence off for 15 years. So those ones that they, that they, and they actually have like a legit fence there. So those ones, I, you know, there's a couple of spots where I will hunt like the edge of the fence because that does create like a little funnel. Um, but the ones that I, the ones that I like are the ones that are in that 15 to 20 year old range where the fence is just removed. And then the deer really start using it for both bedding in, in the browse in there. And those ones it's, it's not like as bad as those pinhole diameter trees I mentioned earlier, those older ones, but it's, it's still kind of too thick to get in there and hunt like inside of them because you're going to be brushed, busting brush the whole time and busting out anything that's in there. I look for the hot trails coming in and out. Like there's one spot I have in that same area that I was telling you about where I was hunting that one, that one buck and he was, he was probably 120 points. points. different buck. But, uh, I usually set up depending on the wind on this one trail coming in. It's the trail is beat to the dirt. And there's a scrape on it, and they actually they actually feed on that corner of the cut and they bed in some really thick laurel behind it. And then on the other side of that cut is doe bedding, so that area, you know, depending on the wind, I'll I'll try to hunt the downwind side during the rut, and sometimes you'll catch bucks cruising through. So. I guess for me like with with my situation the public I hunt I'm looking for kind of that 15 to 25 year old cut just because the fenced-in cuts I mean I'm not saying you can't kill deer within them but um they they almost act just mostly as a funnel because I guess I don't know I don't know the game fish's exact reason for fencing them off I don't know if it's just to observe the difference in growth or what but that's just what they do so that we kind of can't. I kind of don't have the luxury of diving into those fresh cuts like some people get. But like I said, there are some areas where there are, there are some select cuts that I can kind of hunt. So, But the ones that are full cuts, they fence them off.
2: Nice. Yeah, I think they do a lot of that for <clears throat> when that new growth comes up, the deer aren't browsing on them and gives them a chance to mm-hmm. grow.
0: Yeah. Is that what's, what's no. up okay. there?
2: Mm hmm.
0: Okay. I, th- I thought so because I remember just from us going up there. Um, all right, Eric. Dude. Those are great answers, great questions. I want to dive into that buck, man. Let's let's hear the the gist. So basically, just to give a quick quick, uh, we I don't know the story. I just know that Eric was able to fill his buck tag this past year on a PA beautiful, beautiful PA buck, seven and a half year olds man, seven and a half year old buck. So, dude, the floor is yours. I can't wait to hear the the. What led into it wh- about having him on camera? Or did you even have him on camera to leading up to that opportunity and, and, uh, the day you made it happen?
1: Yeah. Well, I kind of, a, I kind of threw a few details of this bucket when we were, you know, just talking earlier, but, uh, so it all started for me just postseason scouting last March. Um, I had this area circled on the map for a year or two, and I just I just never made it back there to scout it, because it's, it's very remote. You have to walk basically a mile uphill, and you have to walk another half mile into where, where I was hunting at. Well, so I get there last year in March, and take a day to carve out, and take my time and go through it, and uh, I'm scouting, and, you know, I'm seeing some, some good sign. I'm seeing, you know, some rubs, and... I'm seeing some scrapes and trails. So I'm like, okay, this is definitely an area I'm going to at minimum throw up a camera. And then all of a sudden I walk up and I see this, uh, five on a side shed. That's probably two or three years old. I'm like, wow. I mean, it wasn't a monster shed, but the reason I was excited about that was because, okay, this was laying in a wide open area. This wasn't like under a log or under the base of a tree. This was just like, Oh, I'm just, just on the floor on the forest floor there. And, uh, that gave me the idea, okay, if this shed laid here this long, nobody's hunting this. There was no preset stands. There was no cameras. There was no climber marks on trees. There was no people sign back there. So there was not only good deer sign there, there was that shed, and which, again, it was old, and then no people sign. So that had me really excited about the area. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to be putting some cameras back here. So next time I'm back in there is – june i put up two cell cams back there and uh i have one kind of the top of the point like maybe maybe 200 yards down they have another one about another 200 yards down or so um which as i kind of alluded to earlier with cameras that still wasn't enough for that area i'm gonna have a lot more there <laughs> this year but uh that gave me a good baseline and uh so nice. i got them in there and got out of there and uh like I said earlier, there was no, there was nobody on camera the whole year. And, uh, yeah, throughout the summer, it wasn't anything to knock your socks off. You know, I was getting, you know, sporadic does and some bucks here and there. And, uh, the buck I shot, the first picture of him would have been, I think it was, I remember the date, it was July 30th. And at that time with the velvet, I'm like, okay, this, that, that's definitely a buck I would shoot. Cause at that time I hadn't shot a buck over hundred inches with my bow. So I'm like, that's definitely a buck I would shoot, but I don't know if he's much over over 110 because you know he's in velvet. You know, he I don't know exactly how big he is. So then I get another picture of him in August. So I'm like, okay, this this buck should be safely 110. Um, and also, I, I I put my cameras about five to six foot high, so the deer always the antlers always look smaller than they actually are because they're not you know they're they're shooting down. They're not on that ground level or. Three foot up, like a lot of people do. I I just notice deer notice them less. That's just my experience. Yep. Um, so I got him again. You know, in August I'm like, okay, this is this is awesome. You know, this buck's showing up, And there was a couple other decent bucks in there too. And uh, I'm like, man, I'd like to maybe get in on this buck early season, but he's just not showing up up enough to do that. So he showed up again in September, and like I said early in the podcast, that was that was middle of the night. So I'm like, okay, well, shed his velvet. You know, he's definitely. Somewhere in this area, I can't pinpoint exactly where he's betting. I see where he's coming from. But I'm like, you know, I'm just laying back. I, Like I mentioned, there was an, another buck I hunted in the early season. I was like, I'm just going to hunt that buck early season, try to shoot a doe or two in some other public areas and private. And uh, I'm just going to just gonna lay back. I'm, I'm just going to not, not push the envelope there because I don't exactly know where he's betting. I know he's there. And I'm going to hope to catch him. My goal was to catch him. Pre rut rut before he really started doing that post rut roaming I mentioned earlier. So I hunted other areas all of October and at the end of October I got a, a buck on camera bigger than him. Wow. I can send you guys the trail cam picture later, but he was probably about 140 inch ten point, just a giant for PA. And I was talking to my buddy, I'm like, man, maybe we should maybe we should get in here you know, the last weekend of October because that that buck showed up on the 22nd and uh we didn't end up doing it for whatever reason i think we were we were hunting that a different area and uh so our plan was to hunt there we were both off the first week of november my buddy and i and uh uh fast forward or not fast forward real quick i do i do want to say since that's such a remote trip i ended up uh taking my climber in um like a week before And, uh, hiding it under trees, like about just at the top of that ridge before I dropped down over in the benches, just because that'd be so much more to carry and up that steep side hill with a pack and a bow and everything. So the first morning in there, my buddy carried his climber and, uh, I, I picked mine up at the top. We went and set up and that was November 2nd and, um, we didn't get any, we didn't see anything that morning and it was really discouraging. I'm like, man. Because we had other bucks on camera there, and I'm thinking, you know, I might not see that that the buck that ended up shooting, or that giant that was bigger than him. But there's some other ones in there we'd both probably shoot. They're probably you know 100 110 inch range. So this courage, we had a different air in the evening, and of course, I get pictures on my phone at the end of the night because I, I just keep my I just I don't try to use my cell cameras to just go in and. Sneak up on a deer alive. I just do them, so I don't have to check them. That's that's pretty much my big thing with them. So at the end of that night, I get pictures, and uh, there was two bucks on camera, both both in that you know hundred hundred tenish range, just like four o'clock afternoon. Like oh man, so I didn't think much of it. I'm like, well, we're probably gonna end up being been hunting that you know twice because the sign was too good and there's too many deer in there not to hunt it more. So. The next day we hunted a different area and I think if I remember correctly, we saw some smaller, we saw some dough and smaller bucks that day. And we get, we have a cabin up in this area. We hunt too. Just, we actually just got this year, this past year, get back there. I get the I get pictures my daily send from that, that camera. And they were six, six, six bucks on camera that day. Wow. The 3rd of November. I'm like, we dude, what the heck? And the one buck was a different buck that was probably about in that 115 120 range. 10 in 10 in the morning. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you're with me or not, but I am going in there. I'm packing some snacks. I'm sitting all day. Like I, if we sit there all day, we're going to get a crack at something. And I, so to my surprise, my buddy hates holiday said he, he was all in for it. So we got to bed as early as we could. We got up at 3:30 in the morning and, uh, it was like 4:45, 4:50. We got it by the time we were parked and walking in. And, um, we uh we get in there, and that the November fourth was the new moon, so it was really, really dark that night and uh we got settled in probably about an hour before we had uh legit daylight and uh we probably got set, we we got solar stands probably about six fifteen, six twenty, and it's funny because I got my everything set up, my everything ready to go. I sit down on my climber. Turn off my headlamp, and literally you could you couldn't see probably your hand right in front of your face. It was that dark. So we were in plenty early, ready to go. And that was the first morning we had last year, I believe, that was in the a low of like 28, 29. So it was the coldest, coldest day we had the year of the year at that point. So we had that to boot. And uh so the morning, I didn't see a deer all morning, and my buddy my buddy passed on two bucks. One was probably like eighty inches. The other one was right around a hundred and he thought about shooting that, but he didn't. Um, so that was, that was, that was encouraging. And then noontime hit and I had a little three point and a doe come by, like they fed in front of me for like 20 minutes, just feed on acorns. And I didn't notice this at the time. Cause I was so looking at them. that As soon as they moved on, I look up at home, like I realized there was another deer up the hill. I glassed him and it was a buck and uh he was coming down my way but it didn't look like he was going to get much closer so I had a window that I thought was 40 yards and uh he ended up being further back in the window I missed that buck he was probably about 105 inches he was wide but he wasn't real high so I was pretty bummed because that was still a good buck for public land I would have been more than happy to take him at the time and uh so I missed that buck. End up going down, double checking my arrow. So I, I repositioned my climber a little bit. Though I was like, well, you know, my camera just you know shows some movement. You know, for, you know, he will he, none of those three deer that I saw would buy my camera at all. I'm like I'm just gonna just bump down the ridge a little bit. So I maybe moved maybe about twenty yards. My buddy, he's a good three forty yards further down the point at the bottom there. And uh, so I'm I'm set back up about one o'clock. And from one to six o'clock at night, I didn't see anything. And I'm just, the whole time I'm kicking myself for missing that deer, not maybe trying to grunt him in closer, just second guessing everything. But I said to myself, I said to my buddy, I'm like, you know, it's only, it's, we only have a half hour left. We may as well sit it out. We've been in here all day. So, and he's, you know, he hasn't seen deer since the morning, so he's getting a little discouraged too. And uh, at like 10 after six, I hear, I hear noise. I'm thinking, Oh, he's bailing on me early, he's getting out. Like he's making noise with the climber, whatever. So I didn't say anything, but I was kind of annoyed. But that wasn't what it was. <laughs> and uh, I uh, I keep listening, I'm like, wait a minute, that's something moving in the leaves. That's not a that's not a climber on a tree. So I keep I stand up and just kinda of lean against the tree, hold my bow, and I keep looking and the noise is getting louder and louder and uh, all of a sudden up over the one bench pops a deer and it was at this point, it's about 6.15-ish. And, uh, well, right before, probably it was six twelve, six fifteen 6.15-ish because I shot him at 6.15. But anyways, it was the point where it was so dark, you it was so gray light, you couldn't, you could see the deer, but if I didn't have bios, I couldn't, I could not identify if that was a buck or a doe. So I pull it up and I just see, I just see rack. I'm like, okay, this is definitely a shooter. And at the time, I didn't realize it was that buck I had on camera. So the trail he's traveling He's at, at that point, he's about 45 yards, but he's, the way he's going, he's going to end up about 41 yards away. I range this other tree, and this is a lot more narrow of a pinch than where I missed the buck earlier. So uh, he, uh, he, he starts moving up, and then he gets to that tree where I need him to step out, of, and he just stops. I'm like, oh, come on. And he, he's looking in my way, and I'm like, oh, crap, did he pick me? <laughs> so I just sit still, kind of don't make eye contact. But he just kind of, like, looks around. Like, I think he was just coming through the cruises for dough. And uh, he just takes a few steps forward. And he's a little more courting to me than I realized. But I, I ranged him one more time. He was right at 41. And that's, like, my max in the woods. Like, I know some guys could really put him out to, like, 60, 70 yards shooting. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of a 40-pin guy. So he was 41, which is right at my max. And I put that 40-pin run right in his heart. You know, aimed shot. I see he did like the, the kind of kick you hear. You hear like people say like when you hit a deer good, they kind of kick their back legs or whatever. Well, did he kick. did that, and he ran off with he ran off with my arrow. I'm like, oh my gosh, I nailed him! And then when he was running, I could kind of see the rack, and he ran down directly past, probably about fifty to hundred yards past my buddy further down, and uh, I put my bow on my uh, I put my bow down on the hook. Uh, I have that strap hook for the tree for public hunting. But anyways, and uh, I called my buddy, I'm like, dude, I just shot a good one. And he's like, yeah, I saw it going. It was big. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm at this point, I'm hugging the tree because I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm like, well, just wait a few minutes, you know, we'll get down after dark and try to see if we can find some blood. And, uh, we, uh, we get down and meet. And, uh, it's, it's again, it's new moon. So it's really, really dark. And, we get to about where I think I shot him at. Okay. But we get down to that point and we can't find blood. And I I ended up hitting him fine, but at that point I'm starting to second guess everything. I'm like, okay, we just need to back out and I need to come back next morning because I don't I don't see any blood. I know you ran I know I hit him, I know he ran off with the arrow and now I'm thinking of oh crap, did I hit him in that bad spot on the shoulder where I just barely got him but I was like, I think I got him in more. it looked like the arrow wasn't out that much, or whatever. So it was, to say the least, it was a very sleepless night that night. Um, so what happened the next day was his, my buddy's brother was coming up to hunt the next day. And uh, he, he decided, he he tagged out, he shot a decent buck um, that Monday, November 1st. So he helped me track in the morning. So we get up there in the morning and start tracking. And uh, we just kind of do a grid search because, Mike, dude, I, I, I feel like I hit him pretty good. I just we, you know, we just couldn't find the blood and I I could, I was able to locate the shot better during the daylight than I was at night about where I thought he was standing. And within about five, 10 minutes, we'd get on the blood trail and it, it was a pretty good hit. He ended up getting double lung. Um, and, uh, we followed him in the first bench down on the side hill. He laid right there and uh, I was like, Holy crap. And then as soon as I got him field dressed we got some pictures. I dragged him. I'm looking at, at his antlers and his, uh, Right G2 has a little kicker off it that's just barely not scorable. And I'm like, wait a minute, this might be the that night I put it ahead on camera. And sure enough it wasn't like, holy crap, that was him. And uh, that's kinda how it went. You know, it was a long four hour drag out of the woods, and then we had a fun night at the cabin celebrating with everybody. So it was it was just it was just a great time. Um, and it was just really rewarding because I put you know, I told you guys, I put, you know, five, six years in learning, you know, how to get on older bigger deer in public and to finally have things come together, which is a greatest feeling. So that's kind of the story. That's awesome,
0: man. And then run down through like what made you uh, really want to get the age taken care of and and see really how old he was and all that type of stuff.
1: So I did that for the first time last year with the, or I guess to 2020 with the uh, uh, seven point that was 87 inches, three and a half, just because, when I posted the picture, I was like, oh, you shot two and a half. I'm like, guys, I'm telling you, this deer looks bigger than two and a half, just the body size. Obviously it wasn't a giant antlers. I only European mounted that deer. And, uh, I set the teeth in. And I was like, wow, he really was three and a half. So I just, it, I just find it fascinating. It's just, to me, it's just kind of cool. to know. Yeah. And with him being on public, I'm like, I think he's probably four and a half, but it was my honest guess that he was four and a half. And, uh, when I, when I got the age, I, you know, it's deerage.com. They, you know, they send you an email once you you know, to follow the link and see what he is or whatever. Well, I was with my wife that night and I was looking at something on my phone. We were together. And I'm like, hold on. Let me, they, they just sent me the age of my buck. And I was like, Holy crap. Like that excitement came back when I realized that he was seven and a half because there's not many people who've killed bucks that big, especially on public. And I'm like, wow, it got me to thinking, you know, how big was this guy at five and a half? You know, I'm guessing he is probably on the downhill slide, antler wise. So I, I, I just think it's cool to cool to see. I, I, I know can. that I know everybody doesn't do it, and a lot of the guys who do it are private guys, you know, managing it on the on ground, you know, trying to kill eight, certain age classes of bucks. But I just I just find it fascinating and cool to see. So,
0: do I think that's awesome? I, I not many times, like you said, not a lot of deer are. You know, we might find them, (laughs) you know, as a deadhead or something like that on public land. But, man, that's – or we just don't ever see them, like you said, get that old. uh, And uh, it kind of goes back to what you were saying of getting back a little bit deeper, and that's where you've found a little bit more success. Now, leading up to this upcoming year, are you going to kind of hone in on that area a little bit more? Are you going to kind of adventure out? Uh, You know, I've talked to a bunch of people where it goes both ways where – they continue to dive deeper or kind of hang around that area and continue to grow it and and know it more basically. And I've heard where people are like, man, I I hunted that spot, killed a buck there. And I may not go back there just because they're on to the next spot. Basically what's, what's kind of your future game plan uh, leading in uh, to next year.
1: So to me, like, I just want to say a quick comment on what you said a lot of people do like to me, the only way I'm leaving an area I've killed deer at is if either a lot of people move in and the hunting pressures increases, or if like the food source, if, if it's a year where I killed a deer when the acorns were dropping and next year they're not dropping, I'll stop my cameras there to see. And if the cameras are telling me they're not in there cause there's nothing dropping, I'm just not going to hunt it that year. Right. Um, so that's, so that's for one, but, um, so this, this area is just a, just a long point. And, uh that just it has a bench after bench after bench and the steep side hills have to cover. So my buddy and I are probably going to have four to six cell cameras in that area this year. Um, and we're probably going to put them up probably right around Turkey season just because it's such a long walk back and just get in there before it gets hot. But um, we're probably going to do that. And probably unless, like I said earlier, unless there's a buck showing up like, well, it's more cameras and kind of seeing where the deer bed, maybe I could, Pattern something early season, but if, if there's not, we're just gonna wait, do the same thing. Probably wait till the very end of October, early November to even step foot in there for hunting. Yeah. Um. I'm, like I guess unless the cameras are telling us there's something patterned for the early season, but like I mentioned to you, um, the uh, the one shed I found this year was a buck hunting early season. I'm I'm really gonna try to hone in on him this early season because I found exactly where he's bedding um it's like a perfect betting area and I was probably just about 50 yards too far and I know where I need to move into this year and I think I have a really decent chance of killing him um and I'm guessing he was only three and a half or four and a half he didn't look like he had the body size of the buck I shot this year and his shed was only about I think it was about three to five inches smaller than uh the same side of the buck I shot this year so I'm thinking he could be pushing the 130s this year so I'm gonna be kind of all in on him early season assuming that I still get I'm still getting pictures of him, which I, I don't see why I wouldn't because it's a great bedding area. So, and then, you know, for the pre rut and the rut, you know, that area where I killed the buck this year and a few other areas is where I hunted to them. So
0: nice, man. Now that sounds like a great game plan. And yeah, I agree with you Ed. Uh, I mean, there's been multiple years of being in the same stand and shooting multiple deer out of growing up with my dad and all that type of stuff. So, uh, and like for me, I, like I said about going home this pat, this upcoming weekend, I'm anxious just to scout around a little bit more, find different spots, but you know, it's still kind of that same area of kind of piecing the puzzle together of where I have cameras, where my dad has cameras and you know, why are we seeing them at a specific time and point and time of the day and where are they coming from? So we're trying to, trying to put pieces a little bit together because it's not a big, it's a big area, but there's not a lot of people. So these deer really mm. have everything that they need. And if they're not getting, if you're not in their bedroom or within that vicinity, you're never going to see them. And
1: yeah. Um, and that's one thing I'll, i if you don't mind, I, yeah. I'd like to add too that. I've, uh, kind of like, the, I'm lucky the area I hunt public wise, even though I, you know, the, the fence deal and stuff, um, the cell serve the cell, self, the cell phone service is great in most areas other than like the steep bottoms. So other than like a couple bottoms I hunt, um, I'm this year. I'm almost going to be exclusively cell cams. And I, I know it's a hot button topic. There's a lot of people who think they're not ethical. I mean, my opinion is, you know, unless you're, as long as you're not running out right after you get a picture to me, it's just a convenience thing, you know, because I have other things I like to do. I love fishing. So I do a lot of fishing in the summer, bass fishing, and I'm trout fishing now. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things I like to do and obviously family and friends as well. So I, instead of me, you know, constantly, cameras in the summer i could throw them out once and other than like a couple areas without service i can still get that intel without being in there all the time and also keeps your set out as well um so that that's been a, a, a huge thing too just both saving my energy and time and everything because i put a lot of boots on the ground in the winter time and like up to this time now so i like and then i can hone in throw my cameras up and not go back to those areas till i hone them
0: Dude, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that because we don't we have a cell camera one or two here where Demetri and I really live. Uh, but I put most of them back at home because it it's a two and two and a half hour drive for me. So again, when the yeah. when the cameras start getting a little bit hot, okay, I know I could now's a good time to possibly get home. Uh instead of like you said, just randomly putting my eggs in the basket for these three, four days that I either take off of, of a, a day or two off from work and hopefully catch it on a weekend and hopefully maybe see something. And heck, even some days when it's still hot and I have that time I'm I'm struggling to be in the right spot at the right time. You know what I'm saying? So I agree, man. I I I, I think if uh yeah, you're not like working from somewhere and at home and all of a sudden that uh sucker goes off and you're just only a quick little bike right away i mean that's yeah that, that gets a little bit sticky situation but for the most part if you're doing like how you said setting them out forget them until the friggin fall then no no harm no foul
1: yeah i mean and the thing is even if i were trying to do that i mean some of those spots by the time i got there that deer's long gone anyways <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know i mean some of those spots are a good hour hike back in you know you you get to where the deer was an hour ago at best, you yeah. know, they're
0: not there anymore. Which uh, which uh, so, brand? I mean, yeah. Which brand are you using that you've had a good success with?
1: So I actually last year kind of tried a bunch of different brands. I had like six brands last year, but I sold a couple that um, I didn't prefer. Um, so I'm not going to batch but I will say the brands I had success with uh, this year. I'm pretty much down to three brands. I'm down to um, Stealth Kim. I, I I personally think for 650 picks for five bucks a month. That deal is great. Um, And then I also run Tacticam. Um, They're not bad. And uh, you're going to be jealous when I tell you this, but (laughs) I saw on, I don't know if you're on the Hunting Pennsylvania Facebook page, uh, somebody threw up, hey, uh, which this is about 40, 50 minutes north of me. Hey, Mansfield Walmart has uh, Tacticam Reveal SKs, which they're the ones with the solar panel. They're a little like 180 for 80 bucks. And there's 10 left. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to. I was going to scout this morning. I did scout that day, but I was like, I gotta get up there because that's a heck of a deal. I was I was going to wait till like now to buy cell cams. So I I got three. I picked up two for one buddy, two for another buddy, and then there was like two left. I was like, I should bought them all, but I mean, <laughs> for that <laughs> price, you can't beat them. So I have those plus the ones I had last year, and then a lot of people give them crap, but I'll tell you what. I mean, I know the picture quality on SpyPoint isn't the greatest, but what I like about SpyPoint is you know on on public, you know, there's a lot of areas where you're not you're not getting more than a hundred, two hundred pictures a month. So the the two um the two uh just link micros I have, pretty much they run for free every year for me. And then I'll tell you another thing if you want to save money is they're on sale frequently for this price. The uh a lot of people have given them negative views online. I have not had an issue with one. The uh the uh spy point cell links to plug into a regular, uh, trail camera. Yep. Uh, they run the same photo plan as the leak micros, but those things are awesome. You know, those picture, that picture quality there is going to be whatever the cameras you plug it into. And like I said, if you're in public, you, you said, odds are you're going to be getting free picks under 250 picks a month. So, right.
0: Well, the one, the one, those br- are the
1: three brands I'm rolling with going forward.
0: Yeah. The one, the one brand that you did not mention is, uh, I'm not gonna say it either. Uh but I'm sure it, it kind of starts with uh what same thing as McDonald's. Um man, I haven't oh, had He well,
1: may as well have said
0: it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> but, dude, I, I've actually thrown them under the bus too before. I, I've I've had no luck with any Moultrie products. Zero. Even like non cellular ones, just nothing but miserable nightmares, uh total waste of money. I just uh Wow. I, yeah. I've See just... that's
1: I, I actually disagree. I actually have seen a little differently on that. The yeah. for regular cams, I've actually had good luck with poultry's. Um Picture quality is pretty good, and they seem pretty easy to use. But uh, I I did end up getting one of those deltas last year, and the picture quality is fine. But the biggest issues I had was number one, you had to pay ten bucks a month right off the bat for just. It went from a hundred to a thousand pictures. So if you were over hundred pictures, which I I, will, I am pretty much on every camera, because that's not that's only like three pictures a day on average, on a month, you you right you right have to be right at the ten bucks a month. So right yeah. there, that's more expensive than most of them because most of them have a five dollar plan. And second of all, I don't know if you noticed this, but last year they did two or three updates like right in the middle of bow season. It's like, dude, like yeah. do that in the summertime. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I just mine
0: and mine. It's just like. Yeah, mine only worked for like a week or two, and then they just stopped working.
1: Yeah, and even yeah, the, mine works yeah. fine. I mean, I, I I actually sold to a buddy of mine who he actually switched to all them, and he he's on private, so he gets more pictures. So I guess it's not a big deal, but but yeah, I, I was lucky. He wanted to buy them because most. Most of the time you see them online, like, nobody wants to touch
0: them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Reasonable. Uh, yeah, I just, unfortunately, yeah. I just, I must get every lemon of the box because I've, I mean, even a couple of years ago when they first came out with that Cell 1, I mean, they sent me three, three brand new ones and all three of them did not work. And I'm like, all right.
1: I'm yeah, that's actually surprising, too, because I know somebody who ran a bunch of the original, Moultrie cells. I think they. I don't think they call them the base or what they call it but they call them. But uh, it was basically the one without the antenna. Yeah. But um, and they loved those, and then they got the Delta and hated the Delta. So. Yep.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just unfortunately, I yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I just never had really good luck. Where on the flip side, uh, I've had amazing luck with all the tacticams that my dad and I have used. So it's yeah. It, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. I. You know. I guess it is what it is. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. But. Yeah. You
1: know. Right. And with my my camera strategy, you know, running you know, close to twenty cameras, like I, I will admit like this the, the brands like um you know, Exodus and um oh gosh, what's that other brand? It's not 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 because 'cause they're like King's Ransom Price, but yep. there's another brand. Um I think oh Spartan. Those are two like hot. Admit, they're probably you're probably gonna get better pictures of performance compared to Stealth and Tech Kim, but to me I'd rather have two or three cams for the price of that of one of those that are still reliable and get more intel that's just right. me yeah. so that's why I haven't you know jumped up in price there with those but
0: Yeah heck yeah totally understand man well dude I appreciate you, uh, having this conversation with us and reaching out and wanting to do this. And I love that story. What's it's awesome to have obviously any individual on, but I love talking to PA guys, especially more local. And, uh, like I said, I grew up just outside of Hazleton. So my whole life and that's where I grew up hunting. So very, very close nearby. And, uh, man, where, where could people find you, Eric, and, and follow along with your, uh, outdoor journey?
1: Yeah, so on Facebook, it's just my name, Eric Barnes. And then uh, on Instagram, I run our group's page, which is Dual Threat Outdoors, and we also have a Facebook page for Dual Threat Outdoors. So we post basically our you know, hunting photos, and we do a lot of fishing as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where the Dual Threat comes in. But, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Uh, we haven't made it on Twitter yet. Yeah, we do have a YouTube channel as well. Um, working on getting some better filming gear for that. But, we have the recovery of the Buckeye shot this year on there as well as a couple other hunts. So, sweet. it's not the greatest film quality yet. We're working on that. So,
0: hey man, but, uh, just have, one have fun thing with at it. time. Yep. So Exactly. Just have fun with it. Don't don't put too much pressure because that's when the the fun turns into miserable. So, <laughs> so yeah.
1: yeah. And this next thing I'm going to say, you can you can maybe edit this to put it towards more towards the beginning of the video, but I do want to mention that uh, I've actually scouted public areas that neither of us have ever hunted before once with your last week's guest, Brandon Miller. Yep. And, uh, your one guest from a year ago who shot a tank, Logan Martz, and him and I, we, we talk a lot about, about different bucks we have because we're both hunting separate areas and stuff and bounce off ideas. So he's a good dude. Yeah,
0: now he is. Uh, I actually haven't talked to Logan in a while, so need to catch up to see how his year is doing. I saw he just posted a picture of a, Friggin' slob shit that, yeah. that thing is <laughs> yeah. gross so no nah, good for him man no that's good I, I appreciate it eric and you know definitely go follow along check them out and i uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in and until next time everybody antler up that's a wrap for another episode of the antler up podcast again thank you everybody for tuning in check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com check out our facebook instagram youtube and our go wild pages thank you again everybody for all the continued support see you next week Antler up.